You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Over the last five years or so, this church has seen a complete change of the leadership. Uh, we've seen uh, spurts in growth of numbers. We've seen the, the numbers of people coming to this church more than double over the last three or four years. Uh, we've grown to two services on a Sunday. And uh, as you will, I'm, I'm sure you will probably know, we have bought uh, one of the most iconic buildings in the centre of Ipswich that we are going to be moving into next year. So it's a really exciting part of our history as a church, uh, but it is also a season for us to reflect and pray to God and say, what do you want us to be growing in internally? What do you want us to be growing in as a people? Because we can grow in number and we can grow in external things and pat ourselves on the back and think, wow, we're very impressive. But uh, God, what is it that you have for us to grow in? So this series, we're looking at what we're taking stock and thinking, God, what do you want us to be growing in before we transition into our new building? What is important? What's on God's agenda? And we've looked at uh, certain things like growing in faith. You need to always be growing in faith, as John said last week. It's not just a season of growth, it's a lifetime of growth for a believer. Always looking to grow. We've looked at growing in community. Always uh, not coming to an event on Sundays, but growing as a body of believers, a family. We looked at growing, at raising others up and diversity and uh, discipleship. We want to grow in ways that God has called us to grow as believers. So we're going to look today at growing in courage, which I think is very important for us. And before we do that, I'm just going to pray to welcome God's Holy Spirit and ask him for his help. Father, we welcome you. Again, we thank you for lifting our gaze to you this morning in worship. We thank you for what it is to know you high and lifted up, to know the great glorious riches that we have in you. Thank you for your presence with us by your spirit, your grace to us that I was lost, but you welcomed me in. Thank you for your glorious grace to us. We thank you for your presence. We pray this morning that you would bring us clarity, bring us revelation. Lord, I pray you would encourage us as we talk about courage and give us the focus that we need to respond to your word, to hear it, right the depths of where you want us to hear it, to take it on, to take it forward, to respond in the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it's a time of transition for us as a church. It's also a time of transition for the worldwide church. For hundreds of years, the church, the people of God, have known something of an unusual place in the world. Throughout history, God's people have been marginalized, ostracized, left at the side. And after Jesus died and rose again, for centuries, God's people were still in great danger, persecuted, and they knew what it was to be a follower of God, was, a follower of Jesus was something that really they had to count the cost. And then in around the, the fourth century, a Roman emperor called uh, Constantine, he became a Christian. He put his faith in Jesus. And, and in the late fourth century, the birth of Christendom happened where uh, the official religion of the Roman Empire suddenly became Christianity. It's incredible explosion of the gospel and the, the, the pain and the uh, suffering that went with that, people counting the cost, now turned to something that had massive positives, 
yes. But also some quite negative drawbacks as well. What came to be known as the Western world was essentially Christendom, essentially this, this Christian movement. Obviously, there was uh, enthusiastic, um, integral, uh, authentic Christianity, authentic faith, relationship with God. But some of the negatives with that also were things like this. People began to think of themselves as Christian by virtue of where they were from. Well, I'm French, so I'm a Christian because we're a Christian nation. Or I'm English, so we're, we're a Christian nation, so I'm a Christian. And uh, that person's Chinese, so they're not Christian because they're not from a Christian nation. When Jesus was very clear, there's one way to the Father. One way. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. There's a relationship with a Savior. And so there was this dangerous thing that started to happen where even, even a century ago, people in England would say, well, I'm a Christian because I'm English, right? That's how it works. And we're seeing that come to an end. The church also had great power this time of Christendom. Suddenly the leaders were experiencing great influence. Where once they would have been fed to lions, now they're suddenly speaking to emperors and kings and advising them and counseling them. And what came with this sadly was corruption. Where Christian leadership started to have great power and with that came great wealth and manipulation of society. We will say what's right and wrong, thank you very much. We are the church. And so we had this period of Christendom which was fantastic in some ways and also detrimental to the authentic growth of the kingdom of God. Another thing that happened was Sunday became an official day of rest and church going was at the very least socially mandatory. If you wanted to be respected in your community, you needed to belong to a church. It wasn't that you needed to know Jesus. No, you just needed to be part of the club. If you want to be taken seriously, you need to be part of this this very strict club. And lastly, there became a divide between ordinary Christians and the clergy. Something that the early church was nothing to do with. Jesus and, and, and the epistles of Paul and Peter and people like that, they didn't say anything like that. There's, there's, there's leadership, there's shepherds supposed to care for their people. But not this separation of authority that, that pushes down on people. So with Christendom came some very negative things. And suddenly, and in this time that we're experiencing now, is, is really an end of Christendom. An end of this understanding that, well, to have Christian morals, if you have Christian morals, you're going to be agreed with by 90% of people. They will just agree with that. Because we are based on Christian morals. And, and this is coming to an end. In fact, that started really with the Enlightenment in the 18th century where people began to understand that reason is king. Not belief, not faith in something supernatural. No, there is no supernatural. We think, therefore we are. We understand what's going on. We reason, and therefore, essentially, thinking became man-centered rather than God-centered. As the enlightenment came through, this was the sort of thinking that came. My sense of what is true my sense of what is good and right begins and usually ends within my brain, my reason, myself. Reason trumps belief. And with that came some positives. Some of this warped thinking that was with Christendom started to be broken down. People began to say, though, 
that church no longer got to decide what was right or wrong. They thought they could use reason to figure that out for themselves. And that was a huge shift, and we're beginning to feel the full weight of it today in this age of unbelief that we're stepping into today. Emphasizing man as the center of life, the Enlightenment was the source of modern-day individualism, modern-day materialism, modern-day consumerism. It's, it's a child of the Enlightenment. These things, unfortunately, are not just outside the church, but they've crept into church, where we now think of ourselves and what we can get. Unfortunately, churches have fed into this consumerist, individualistic model of faith. You will sadly see sermon series and books and songs that have little to do with the character of God, little to do with the Bible, so-called Christian material that's more about how I can better my life. And outside the church, people are growing more resistant and even hateful towards the church. Church is being pushed back to the margins. Christianity is being pushed back to the side. You will not have a voice Anymore is what we're starting to hear. But let me encourage you. Let's be encouraged. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Historically, church thrives on the margins. That's where church will thrive, on the margins. Christendom was essentially a mirage. There's no such thing as a Christian nation. As we said, there's one way to the Father. And Christendom encouraged many people, sadly, to think that they were Christians, when they had no relationship with God. It's terribly dangerous. But the end of Christendom and church being pushed to the margins will help us to understand what the cost is of following Jesus. What is the real cost of following Jesus? I'm not just part of a club where we're nice to each other. The end of some of these false beliefs is a good thing. See, the church before Christendom, the first few centuries in particular, was made up of individuals who had the courage that could not be quenched by fires, could not be torn apart by lions. It was made up of ordinary people who together unleashed an unstoppable multiplication of churches through the known world. So we must be courageous. That's what we're talking about today, growing in courage. This was always what was meant for the people of God. As individuals and as people together, courage is something that is easier to talk about, though, than to live out. It's far easier for us to live out of fear, isn't it? To be wondering, I'm not sure how people will think of me if I do this. I will offend somebody if I behave like that. So we behave out of fear rather than out of conviction, faith, And courage. It's been helpfully said that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than one's fear. Because we can't just say, okay, so my talk today is stop being fearful, be courageous. It's not that simple. Clearly not that simple. We can't just say, okay, stop being fearful, be courageous. No, actually, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the understanding that there's something greater than my fear. There's something greater that I'm holding on to, something greater that I'm looking to. If, in fact, if there's no fear, there can't be courage. 
What are we over, overcoming? If there's no fear, how are we going to be courageous? How can you be brave in the light? You're brave in the dark. That's where you understand, no, this is where I exercise courage. It was true only decades ago that Christians were clearly in the moral majority. We'd be able to declare boldly our beliefs about what was right and wrong. And know, as I said, that 90% of people would agree. Now that's not the case. Many inside the church, we're tempted to conform to culture through fear of rejection. Some will try to get back to Christendom by converting the culture. These are the temptations that we can face in response to this pushing back from the culture, this uh, marginalization that we can start to experience. The temptations we can find are, okay, well, maybe I can convert the culture back to Christendom. Start telling people you've got to behave like a Christian. Behave like a Christian. Behave like a Christian. It's a temptation. No, come on, that's not Christian behavior. Saying to, the, saying to society who don't know Christ, you must, must behave like a Christian. That's not an answer for us. Another temptation will be to avoid culture by condemning it. It's what we see sort of monasteries and things where people hide away in little communities. Are we just going to be a community of just Hope Church? Will we just... We just get behind the barracks and hide from the world. Just condemn the world. I don't, want to get, I don't want to get influenced by the world. I want to stay away from it. I don't want any of that muck influencing me. So let's just stay in a little bubble. No, that's not the answer. Jesus said, be not of the world, but in the world. We're called to be a light to the nations. A city on a hill. We're not called to hide. We're called to uncover. No one lights a candle and puts it under a bowl. You, you put it out. Jesus said, no, you, I want you to be a declaration to the world. So we can't hide and we can't just try to change the world back to Christendom. But the other temptation is just to consume the culture. Just to say, well, we're not going to beat them by being holding on to this because so much in this is offensive. So what we're going to do is we're going to cut a lot of that out and we're just going to let the culture sort of shape us. No, we can't do that either. We want to maintain integrity to what God has called us to be. So what will the basis of our courage be? We can courageously walk forward positively, faithfully, and joyfully. We can do this. That's what we're called to do. That's what the early Christians, that we're trying to do something of a, in our types of churches, something of recovery of the authentic church. Something of what we're trying to do is to recover what it is to be an authentic New Testament church. And they pushed forward faithfully, positively, joyfully. But what was the basis of their courage? What's the basis of our courage going to be? When we are seen as not sane, what's the basis of our courage going to be? When we're seen as outdated, when we're seen as not compassionate, when we're seen as not loving and gracious, when we're seen as bigoted, what's the basis of our courage going to be? Because our culture has decided that to disagree is to hate. That is not true. The culture has said, if you disagree, you hate. That is not true. You must hear that. We will disagree with each other in this room, I'm sure, in lots of ways. And we love each other. We will disagree with the culture and those around us in lots of ways. And we're called to love them. To disagree is not 
to hate. There's a lie of our culture. How are we going to push forward in courage? What's the basis of our courage? Well, this is what we've been singing about this morning. In summary, we need to know God. We need to behold God. We need our heads lifted up, our eyes lifted up. Paul wrote his letters to the persecuted church. His letter to the Romans was written to people who were counting the cost, who knew what it was to be ostracized, who knew what it was to be rejected, and to be in danger just for their faith. Things were getting extremely difficult for them, and persecution was on the rise. And As we've read this morning already, it was into this context where Paul said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Paul is saying to people who are being killed, people who are having their possessions taken from them, people having their family taken away from them, we are more than conquerors in Christ. And we can say this verse and we can think, yes, it's such a, such a, it, it buoys me up, this verse. It builds me up. It's, it's helpful. And we can neglect the, the context for it. If we look at the sentence before, it says this. It's extremely sobering. For God's sake... We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't that sobering? He's not just, it's not just a pep talk. It's not just somebody who is a, a cheerleader saying, you can do it. He's saying, no, no, look, in this context where we are being persecuted and hated, know this. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We must read these words through the eyes of the Christians that originally read them. The believers who were giving up their lives, giving up their comfort, losing possessions, losing career prospects, possible imprisonment simply because of their faith. And they must have been so tempted at times to condemn the culture, to hide or consume the culture and let it shape them. But Paul wanted them to live with courage. With the courage of knowing that they were more than conquerors. Because they were infinitely and unstoppably loved by the God who he went on to describe in chapter 11. We're going to look at Romans 11. A few of the verses at the end. If you want to open your Bibles, it will be on the screen as well. It says this. This is how Paul described this God who he wanted to lift their eyes to. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, in Romans 11 there, Paul is lifting the eyes of the readers to God. He's pleading with us to get our eyes off ourselves and off of our surroundings and on to God, to behold God. This is how you get courage. This is how you get courage as a believer. Behold him. Behold him. Let's look at these verses a little bit more. Firstly, Paul begins talking about God's riches. That seems a little bit random. But when you put it in the context of believers who are having their belongings and things that were valuable to them taken away and stolen, it makes a lot of sense. We can easily relate to this. We know 
the stress that comes with finances, when we think about the things that we value the most, our riches, we are very easily tempted to compromise, compromise our devotion to God so that we can keep hold of our possessions, of our riches. It's easy to think, God, you, you can have this, but you can't have this. I heard one preacher say he saw somebody getting baptized, and before they got in the pool, they took out their wallet, put it on the side, took out their phone, put it on the side, took out their keys and put it on the side. And he said it was like they were saying, God, you can have me, but you can't have my family, my friends, or my possessions. It's easy for us to say, yeah, God, I love you, you're wonderful, but you can't touch this in my life. And in this context, we're understanding, Paul is saying, look at the riches of God. There are Christian business owners who are literally counting the cost of holding faithfully to Christ. Saying, I look at him, and I hold on to him, and it means sometimes I lose business because people want me to do things I won't compromise. We can literally count the cost of following him. Focusing on our riches or our lack of riches will conquer us with fear. If we're consumed by looking at, what about my riches? Or I don't have what I want, my lack of riches. Paul encourages us by saying, let's talk about God's riches, which are yours in Christ Jesus eternally. That's how you overcome. But I need this. But I could never lose that. Oh, no, look at him. You, you can never lose him. And his riches are eternally yours And they're abundantly more than you could ever imagine in Christ Jesus. See, we are limited where God is completely and utterly unlimited. We can only create what we already have. God can say, let there be. And it appears. The riches of God. The riches of God. The power to speak things into being. The authority. It's God's alone. Holding to this perspective, it helps us as believers, to know freedom from, having, from behaving out of fear. Fear of losing what we hold as valuable. It doesn't matter what you lose or what's taken from you. If you know the immense wealth of God is eternally yours. Paul is saying, focus, look up all oh, the riches. The riches. The depth of riches of God. Secondly, he looks at the wisdom and knowledge of God. The Christians he's writing to live in what was dubbed the eternal city. Rome, the eternal city. Rome was the pinnacle, at the pinnacle of its might in this period. And Paul's readers would not be able to imagine that that would ever end. But you can go there today, and for a few pounds you can walk around the ruins. The biggest empire that there ever had been up until that point... Seemingly unstoppable, and yet now it's resigned to history books. The point is, God's wisdom knows no bounds. God sees all, God knows all, and we cannot comprehend it. Isaiah 55 says this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and thoughts higher than yours. God knows and he sees the big picture. He works in his time. In fact, he works outside of time. Where we don't know the future, we don't know what's going to happen, God's already there. He's already there. He works outside of time. 
In this society where we demand instant understanding, instant gratification, instant results, we've got to stop and look to the one whose depth of wisdom is not our wisdom. It never will be our wisdom. And that gives me such peace. He understands. I don't understand. I trust him where I don't understand. The wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now this is important because there will be days when trouble will come. Amen? Amen. There will be days when trouble will come. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. Where we'll be marginalized, ridiculed, misunderstood, oppressed for what we hold to. In those moments, looking and trusting in the wisdom and the knowledge of God will bring us the courage to hold on to his ways. God, I trust your ways. I don't understand it, but I trust your ways. I believe your ways. I hold on to your ways. That's where my courage will come from. In the 4th century, St. Augustine said that to be human is to have your face pushed up to a stained glass window. You can see some colour and you can see some warped glass. God is the only one who stands far enough back to see the picture. Or maybe a modern day equivalent would be we're a bit like going into a movie that's three hours long for two seconds and then walking out and thinking, right, I'm going to lecture the director on the storyline of that movie. He doesn't know what he's doing. What a foolish perspective. Paul wants the believers in Rome who are experiencing persecution and marginalization to know God has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. Whatever your two-second perspective of the movie tells you, you have to remember that he has a depth of wisdom and knowledge that you can't even begin to comprehend. The temptation when things are tough will be to lose trust, to lose hope, give in to fear. But Paul is saying, no! In all things... God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. He is the author. He is the creator. Who knows what trials we'll face? Who knows what is to come? Who knows what this cultural landscape will give birth to in this age of unbelief? Who knows what all of that will mean for us? God does. God knows. He holds it in his hands. He knows. And as Jesus tells Peter in Matthew 16, even the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Who knows what will happen? God knows. And he's at peace. And his church will prevail. We're part of his story. He's not part of ours. So we follow him. So God is unspeakably rich, he's unthinkably wise, and that leads Paul to move on to say what that should do in us. Thirdly, he calls us to recognize our smallness. It should make us think little of ourselves. That sounds counterintuitive when you think, I thought you were building me up in courage here, encouraging me, and now you're saying think of yourself as small. Well, yes, we must be confident, not in ourselves, confident in God. In a time where you try to build each other up with false accolades. You can do it. 
You can do whatever you put your mind to. You've got this. You're so great. Be yourself. Believe in yourself. Our teaching and advice is often based more on the false wisdom of the world than the true wisdom of the word. And as a result, it's like we're trying to run a marathon fueled by candy floss. I'm great, am I? Yeah, okay. Oh. I can do it. Oh, okay. Got nothing inside. No substance. Nothing to actually carry me through this marathon. Or maybe like going into war with a toothpick. Okay, is this what I've got? Yeah, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Completely exposed. Confidence in myself is woefully inadequate. It leaves me weak and exposed. There is a vacuum where I need a big view of God. I need to drink from the wellspring of life and then run the marathon. I need to know the arsenal of weaponry that God has behind him and then go into battle. I don't go in with, oh, I'm great, I can do it. I go in knowing he's great. and He's with me and he's for me. I need a big view of God. That's why as a church, we take worship seriously. We lift up his name. We lift up his name. It's an exercise for my soul. It's encouragement for my soul. I lift up his name. I look to him. Where does my help come from? From the Lord. We take worship seriously. We remind ourselves of who is on the throne. Who is in charge. Who's worthy. That's why we take the word of God and preaching seriously. Because we have to herald him to each other. Who he is. What he's done. So we're not left exposed. And that's why we take church prayer meetings seriously and we prioritize them because we have access to the great I am. And we desperately need him because mere optimism and positivity is not God. We need God. We need the real thing. We cannot survive on just, yeah, you can do it. Go you. No, I need God. So we take Worship, seriously. We take the word and preaching seriously. We take prayer seriously. In verse 34 and 35, Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Now listen, the point of this is, the answer is nobody can say, Oh, I have. Nobody can say, I have. Oh, who has known the mind of the Lord? I have. No, the the point he's making is nobody knows the mind of the Lord. No one can put God in their debt because we cannot give him anything which is not already his. 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. See, when we begin to see the greatness of our God, when that vision becomes greater than our fears, we begin to get a great God-given, God-sized courage. That's what we have to do. You've got to realize, whose am I? Who is he who I, who I serve? He is the author of life. He is the creator God. Let me read you a quote to put this in some perspective and give you an example from Dr. Martin Luther King. As the civil rights action started to really heat up and people actually started to get seriously beaten and even killed, And there were a lot of threats going around. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a sermon called Our God is Able. 
and turned into a paper and turned into a part of a book called Strength to Love. Amid hostility and violence, Dr. King said, It seemed as though I heard an inner voice saying, Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass from me. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. Three nights later, while Dr. King was out of town, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me new strength and trust. I know now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms of life. What Dr. King describes is a supernatural act. You don't find that courage from looking deep within yourself. It doesn't come from being mad at the world or from keeping your head down in the world. It comes from experiencing God. These sorts of things have changed history as people trust God and do crazy things for God and believe that he is greater. I'm just going to finish by looking at three things that this courage can look like. First of all, this courage can look like holiness and integrity. When we have hope and confidence that the Lord knows best and that his story is the one story that gives us life and purpose and joy, we're not as likely to give in to the temptation to be squeezed into what our culture says is acceptable or praiseworthy. We won't be, as Paul put it, conformed to this world. Instead, we care more for what our Father thinks than what our culture thinks. We obey his word, not our society's ways. God-sized courage goes after God-like holiness. I want to read you another example quickly. One author says this, Let me give you just one example. There's a woman in my church who was climbing the ladder in her industry and doing very well. She's smart, educated, and she was headed for the top. And trust me, she was going to get there. Then she ran into a supervisor who was doing some things that were shady at best and illegal at worst. She knew that to do those things, going against her conscience, would then make her a part of what was displeasing to the Lord. But at the same time, what she was making in her job was the key for her family. And I don't mean it was the key for them being able to have a long vacation in the summer. I mean it was key for her family's ability to pay their bills and have food to eat. Yet despite the dilemma confronting her, she reported the illegal activity. She resigned from her position. She testified to her co-workers And then she walked away. In the economy at that point, it was hard to find another job. It took a while. In that time, life shrunk down. It was hard. She was walking without wealth. She was walking without a career. But she was walking with integrity. That's courage. It's ordinary Christians living in a way that is empowered by something that transcends our current situation. Especially the fears felt in this age of unbelief. If we walk in awe of God, our Father and our Judge, the God of deep riches and wisdom and knowledge, then we'll walk with courage and integrity. Courage looks like holiness and integrity. Secondly, it looks like devotion to the church and devotion to others. Courage gives us the ability in this age of unbelief to speak positively and seek unity, to love those who disagree with us and hurt us. To be unsurprised and not angered when a society that doesn't believe in Jesus makes laws that don't line up with God's laws. 
we can get taken aback by this and think, how could they ever make that law? How could they ever go that direction? And we can think so badly of our, our leaders of this nation. But we shouldn't be surprised if they don't know Jesus. We must keep loving and seeking to bless. We don't just defend or attack or run away. We love, we speak truth, and we speak life. Secondly, yeah, we devote to the church and to others. And thirdly, courage looks like witnessing. It looks like witnessing. As we've talked about courageously, it looks the same as it did for the early believers. I've got a quote here from Rico Tice. There is increasing hostility to the gospel message. There is something else going on too. There's also increased hunger. The same rising tide of secularism and materialism that rejects truth claims and is offended by absolute moral standards is proving to be an empty and hollow way to live. You're more and more likely to find people quietly hungering for the content of the gospel, even as our culture teaches them to be hostile towards it. Christian courage in the 21st century, it looks like it did in the 1st century. It looks the same in our post-Christendom West as it did in the pre-Christendom Roman Empire. It looks like holiness and integrity. It looks like devotion to one another and to others in every sphere of life. And it looks like evangelism. Be courageous, follow our Saviour, courageously looking at Him, letting Him be the bigger picture. We've got to let Him invade our vision. A penny can look bigger than the sun if you hold it up to your eye. But it's nothing. It's just a penny. The sun is, is one of the things that sustains this world. We've got to get little things out of our vision. Look at the great, glorious one. Trust him. Hold on to him. Trouble will come. Difficulties will come. But we believe in one whose riches are unimaginable. We believe in one whose knowledge and wisdom is inscrutable, incredible. And we know that we can never offer him anything that he doesn't already have. So we surrender to him and we do it gladfully and we know joy. And we know we can get life in abundance as we follow him. I'm going to read Psalm 46 to finish. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's just stand in the presence of this God who says, be still and know, I am God. There is no other God. He holds the beginning and the end. 
the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the living one. Lord, we lift up your name. We lift up our eyes. Our help comes from the heavens. Our courage comes from the heavens. Our hope comes from the heavens. Our life comes from the heavens. We thank you that we know an eternal one. We thank you we know a destiny. We know peace is ours. We know joy is ours. We know life is ours. Lord, in the face of trials, in the face of temptation to compromise, will you help us see you? Will you help us focus on you? Will you help us set our gaze on you and be willing to count the cost? Help this church, Father, go from strength to strength. That many would be saved. That many would come to know what it is to know the true and living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.